Welcome to season six of Fridays with Flea Style. This podcast is for the makers and shakers, doers and dreamers. It's all about supporting small businesses and unique style through candid creatives willing to share their life stories as well as advice, inspiration and support to help you design your best life. I'm Brittany Cobb, your host and the founder of Flea Style. I started this business 10 years ago, ironically, the same week I was laid off from my day job. What started as a small holiday pop-up market and side hustle is a growing retail and media company. My little market a decade ago has grown into huge national shopping events, retail stores, creative workshops, e-commerce, and more. At the core of everything we do, Fleastyle's mission is to champion small businesses and unique style through authentic retail and digital experiences. I've walked in your shoes. I know what it's like to feel unsure of your next steps. I know the everyday highs and lows of owning a small business or deeply desiring to do so. That's why we started this podcast, to be a comforting friend in your journey, whatever that looks like for you. We're so happy you found us and welcome you into our Fleastyle family. This is Fridays with Fleastyle. Hey guys, welcome back to Fridays with Flea Style. This is a really special day. Uh, It's the day before our Super Bowl, Small Business Saturday. Uh, We are actually off today. I gave the entire team off. Um, Everyone at Flea Style and Heirloom Hall, we really believe in enjoying your family in the holiday season and also kind of remembering what's important on Black Friday. Uh, No offense to Black Friday, but it's just not our thing. And we want to celebrate big time tomorrow and something we really believe in. And so uh, we are enjoying some major rest and relaxation today and hopefully listening to this podcast and this episode because it's a really special one. We love the little market. We love what these girls um, stand for, what their business is all about. And to sit down with Hannah was such an honor to learn about their journey. Uh, It's not easy. And she talks about how hard it is to start a small business and run one that is trying to do things the right way, paying the right wages, um, working with people from all over the world, different cultures, different languages. She really pulls back the curtain on her and Lauren Conrad's business and how they're doing it and making it today. And it's, it's a really good, inspiring story. I hope you guys will enjoy it as much as I did. Um, but anyway, we hope you have a wonderful holiday that you're enjoying it with your loved ones. And we can't wait to hopefully see you at small business Saturday. And if you're not local, go shop local, wherever you do live, you guys, it really makes a difference and just support the makers and shakers in your neighborhood. Thanks guys. Hey, Hannah. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm so happy to have you on today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Uh, We were just saying before we recorded that we kind of have a couple things in common. You went to college in my hometown. I know. And I love the city of Orange and can't believe you got to grow up there. I know. It's the most special little pocket of Orange County that really people don't know about. Uh, I can't wait to talk all about how you got there. Um, we don't, I know we don't actually, we've never formally met, but we've been connected a couple times. I've talked to you over the years about being involved in a couple of things Flea Style has done. And then you went and visited one of my best friends in Dallas who has a brand you guys have carried, uh, at the little market, my friend Paula Minnis with Gaia. So I love that we're connected yes, kind of from we, afar. Absolutely. And we love Paula and everything she's created. She's such an impressive woman. Yeah, she's a gem. Uh, well, we'll get into all of that. But before we do, kind of tell us a little bit about, are you are you an Orange County girl? Where are you born and raised? And kind of talk about your childhood a little bit. Yeah, so I was born and raised in Orange County. I stayed there through high school. And then I did, um, I went to fit in the fashion school. And I did the first year in Orange County and the second year in LA. And it was actually at my first year in Orange County where I met the Little Markets co-founder, Lauren Conrad. Okay, so you guys didn't um, grow then, up together in Orange County. That's just a coincidence? Correct. It's just a coincidence. Okay. We met at, uh, at fashion school. Cool. Yeah, and then after fashion school, I did not know what I was going to do. So I ended up going back to Orange, and that's when I ended up at college in the city of Orange, and I studied communications and public relations with an emphasis on nonprofits. Um, and so that, even though I got to grow up going to Orange, um, I got to spend a lot more time there while I was at college. And I really, really fell in love with that city. 
Yeah. Sh- uh, shout out to Chapman University. We have to say what that school is. Yeah. Thank you. I <laughs> it's the most beautiful school too. Oh my gosh. It's so pretty. It really is. And that whole community is so incredible. It was such a great place to go to school. Yes. Well, this podcast is not about me, but I have to tell you the reason for Flea Style is because I did grow up there. And for people that are listening and don't know about the city of Orange, it's this little capsule downtown caught in time where it feels like you can be in the 50s at times, especially when you pass like Watson Soda Fountain or the old place that sells the vintage hubcaps for old Model A's and T's. It's it's just the cutest, sweetest place. And my mom had a booth at the Antique Mall or one of them there. And so that was like the playground of my childhood. And when I moved to Texas, we didn't have anything like that where I live in Dallas. And so I created it myself. So Orange is That's very much so connecting cool. us yeah. right now. <laughs> No, and we, I grew up going to Orange um, for the, you know, for the antique stores. Um, and that was actually something that Lauren and I, when we met, realized we both had in common just our love of vintage fairs and antiques. And actually, when we came to Dallas to meet your friend, Paula, um, we also made um, a special trip to Round Top. So we did that antique market, um, and we are itching to get back there. Oh, well, let me know. We'll go together. I'll hook you up. Yes, please. We would love that. It was so overwhelming. Um, we, you know, we did two days of antiquing, but we, we didn't really have it mapped out, but we had the best time anyways. Oh, so fun. Well, um, so talk to me about when you met Lauren and kind of it was, was your business something that you guys kind of talked about for a long time? Cause it sounds like you kind of, uh, went different ways for a little while. Um, you went back to Chapman, like how, how did you guys come up with this idea and start the little market? Yeah. So I met Lauren, like you said, in my first year at Fidham, um, and we became friends and she was honestly so impressive at school. Even then I just, I remember her sketches of dresses and I was just so blown away by her amazing talent. I don't think many people know that she, she actually is an artist and can sketch and has more skills than most people would imagine. Um, but, um, yeah, we met, fell in love with kind of like our shared passions of travel, shopping, specifically things like antiquing. You know, really, we love finding treasures um, while shopping. And so we ended up reconnecting after I met the Chapman. Um, and, you know, like I said, after Fidham, I didn't really know what I wanted to do after Chapman. It was really clear that I wanted to dedicate my life to giving back. Um, but I still loved this fashion piece. So we started talking about this idea of, you know, how can we give back the in a unique way, you know, um, some people are being asked to do things all the time and not everyone's able to give financially, you know, make donations or that kind of thing, or can be completely overwhelmed by all of the different charities and all of the different causes. So we created an online marketplace where every purchase gave back and every single item was handmade by someone who had an incredible story. Um, and, and, and also, um, wouldn't otherwise have a platform to sell their handmade goods. So kind of simple, similar to your friend Paula, when she started Gaia, she found these incredible women who were refugees who already had this amazing skill set. They were really, really talented seamstresses and you know, could make all of these beautiful things but didn't have access to a marketplace. Um, so she helped them to create that. And basically through the little market, we worked with 75 artisan partners like that. So each has its own story um, and each has a different product they're making and we use the Little Markets platform to sell them so they're able to have sustainable income, often preserved cultures. So, you know, different handmade te- uh, techniques that have been passed down from generation to generation are preserved through these products. That's amazing. So it was kind of, yeah. Well, so we got to combine our love of travel, treasures, and um, giving back to create a place um, that people could shop and feel really good about every purchase. Yeah. Well, this is kind of a big question, but I know a lot. So we host giant flea markets uh, in Texas with makers. Um, Our Dallas show has almost 200 of them coming up here actually in a couple weeks. And I get asked a lot, like, I want to be a maker like one of them, or, you know, I have this dream. I love to travel or I like to make this, like, how do I make it happen? And you kind of found a way to literally combine all of your favorite things, all of the things that push your happy buttons and like make a business out of it. Do you have advice to people listening on how they can do the same? Like, how did you just, how were you able to create something kind of out of nothing with this love for travel, giving back and cool, unique goods? Like, how are you like, okay, now this is how I'm going to do it. That's a good question. <laughs> right. I think no, it's a big a question. Really Cause I, special... 
I'm in the no, same it's, boat. No, it's a good one. I think, <laughs> I think we're at a really special time where so many businesses are incorporating a give back element. Um, and making that part of their brand and part of their ethos and part of their mission. And I think a lot of shoppers are really attracted to that. So to answer that part of the question, I think no matter what you're doing, whether it's selling a popsicle or, or making wood benches, you know, there's, there's always room to find a give back partner. You know, it's, it's really exciting to see so many food companies are now making sure that children that are hungry are getting meals as part of every purchase of their granola bar. Or, you know, something like this bar saves lives. They're selling a great granola bar, but also making sure that kids um, in other countries who don't have enough food to get by are getting food with every purchase. So there's ways to do that. And then as far as how do you, if you're looking to be a craftsman, how do you make it? Um, I always feel like work hard to be the best at what you're doing and offer something different. And I do think it's important to do your best to put blinders on and not worry about what everyone's doing to the left and right of you. Because if you just stay true to yourself, and stay focused on what you're good at and what makes your project unique, that's how you shine. Um, I think it's really easy to get overwhelmed by there's so many different brands out there and so many people doing something kind of similar. Um, But really none of that matters if you make yours the best and you're really just focused on doing what you love and getting better at that rather than worrying about what other people are doing. Yeah, and take that time and energy you'd put into the worrying into like your business. And it's amazing how much further you can move the needle. Absolutely. Yeah. Did I answer all of those, all the pieces of that question? Yeah, no, that was good. Um, talk to us about the okay. early days. So when did you actually launch the little market? What year? So it officially launched October 2013. Oh, um, so coming up on six years. Yeah. Yes. Um, but it took about, I mean, it took more than a year before that launch date to start putting everything together. You know, it took us a long time to figure out a name. Then once we decide, you know, then at, once we fall in love with a name, we'd look and find out if their domain was available. It often wasn't. It was a really long process. Um, and then from there, I mean, all of the behind the scenes stuff that I'm sure you know about, but maybe all the listeners don't is, you know, it takes forever to figure out what your logo is and what are your fonts and what does your website look like and what's the flow. And Lauren and I were really hands-on in picking every single choice. It was really just us for that first year um, kind of building what the brand was going to be and what the, what the customer experience would be and what it would feel like. So yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of part of the early stages that I don't think most people think about when they're introduced to a brand. Yeah. And I love that. Cause it also gives people, I think a little bit of exposure on, Hey, it doesn't happen overnight. Like it, it does take time to plan, no, especially not if you're all. planning something for true success. Yeah, not, it definitely is not an overnight process. And I think that was really hard for me because I was so excited to get up and going. But even just until we had a name, it's like you can't get incorporated until you have a name. You can't, you know, there's so many pieces um, that you have to figure out before you can take the next step. So yeah. it was important to be patient to make sure we did it right. So then kind of you guys get your your stuff together, you're, you're building it out the back end of your business. How did you find these makers and select them and start working with brands all over the world to bring into the little market? I'd love to kind of know how you curate, also how you cultivate those relationships and then bring their goods into your site. I'm sure like there's language barriers. I, I can imagine this is complicated. <laughs> it's very it's actually probably one of the most complicated pieces of what we do. And it's hard to kind of scale it down to a quick answer. But every okay. artist and group or maker that we work with okay, great. <laughs> um, has come, with us, come to us a completely different way. Some have been through referrals from people traveling. Um, other groups we found on our travels. Now, as Instagram grows, we can actually find people on Instagram and um, Earlier, so, you know, seven years ago when we were just getting started, I was able to search for people on Google. You know, I could type in Artisan Made, Fair Trade, Tanzania, and amazing little groups would pop up. But now with SEO, what it is, it's almost impossible for us to find anything that way because so many big companies, even just like um, a West Elm, is putting in keywords for things like Fair Trade and Artisan Made. Interesting. So it makes it almost impossible to find, yeah, the like tiny small co-ops that we used to be able to find. So now we really rely on word of mouth. Um, we also have an artisan application on our website. So we get entries through that every week. Um, we also go to fair trade trade shows whenever possible. And then um, our team also has a few members on the Fair Trade Federation committee. So they actually 
um, are part of just this big fair trade fair trade membership. So that's another way for us to get exposed or exposure to new artisans. So it's a lot of different ways. Yeah. What do you look for in a maker or a collaborator? Is it the organization they're giving back to, the community? Yeah, I'd love to know. It's a lot. So one of the most important things for us is um, we really love working with other nonprofits or social enterprises where we know that giving back is a priority. So when we get to partner with another nonprofit, we know that there isn't um, isn't someone who owns the company who's profiting off of these artisans' stories or their heritage. Does that make sense? No, totally. Yeah. So that's one of our favorite things to find because then we know we have um, that we truly, you know, have shared ethos. So for example, um, locally in downtown LA, we work with Homeboy Industries, which is an incredible nonprofit that works with people that were previously incarcerated or previous gang members. And they have a social enterprise that does screen printing. So we do a screen printing um, collaboration with them. So anyone who likes our burlap bags and needs a quick custom order, we do it with them. And then we know exactly where all the money is going. And we can just kind of further our mission of helping people through their purchases. Um, another example would be actually in Chicago, we work with an incredible group um, called Bright Endeavors. And it's a nonprofit social enterprise for at-risk young moms who have experienced domestic violence and homelessness. So again, they're creating this amazing safe space for, for women to come. They get skill training, um, they get all sorts of therapy, um, and then they make the products that we've actually created. We actually made up those recipes all in my kitchen sink. Every, we do soaking salt and sugar scrubs, and um, we created those recipes to create more work for these women because we really believed in the program um, and how much change and impact they were making for these women. Oh, I love that. So, so those are two, yeah, really different examples. Yeah. Um, we have 75 different partners and each has a unique story, but we're really focused on people that are dedicated to giving back and not just selling a product. So once Because there's lots of people making beautiful baskets, but we want to make sure we're working with the team that really cares about the people more than the product. Yeah. So once you bring on a brand, um, say like the ones you've just talked about, talk about the, mm-hmm. like how it all works with having an online store. I'm assuming, uh, that's most of your business. Don't you guys, you've had little pop-ups and, um, brick and mortar here and there, but your, your bread and butter is your online business, right? Our bread and butter is online. Cause that's where we've been for six years. We did, um, just a year ago, actually celebrate our anniversary, our first anniversary of our first brick and mortar, which is really exciting. Um, but it's 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 only 600 square feet. It's a little jewel box, so we're not able to showcase all of our items. You know, we have a lot of big, beautiful items like fun big hampers and blankets, and our space is really small, so we're not able to share all of that. Um, but that's been really, really fun to be able to watch customers come in, hear the story of how the product was made, and be able to you know hold it in their hands, touch it and feel it and understand the handmade quality. Yeah. Well, I'd love to hear how you're finding success online. I know a lot of our listeners and even Fleestyle has an e-commerce footprint and it's hard. I mean, people talk about how everything's going online and there's a lot of truth to that, but it also makes it hard. It's saturated and with brands like yours or ours, sometimes there's SKUs that are just one off. And so there's a lot of work mm-hmm. that goes mm-hmm. into putting it out there for the world for it just to sell to one person, that lucky person, but one person. Mm-hmm. So yeah. how are you guys finding success in that? Can you talk about kind of how, um, how you're doing it and, and what's working for you? Yeah. I mean, I think the hard reality of online is as soon as you get comfortable doing something, you're going to have to change it because the online world changes so fast. Um, so everything from, you know, the second you kind of revamp your homepage or, you know, fix up your product page or change a certain functionality of how it's going to work, it's almost becomes outdated by the time you've implemented it. You know, there's just constant, constant change. So you have to be okay with that and you have to be able to go with the flow. So even just a really simple example is, you know, our menu um, for our navigation, as we were growing, we just continue to add things to different categories. And all of a sudden, I look at it and think, this menu is too full. You know, I know where to find things because I've been part of the process of building it out. But for the average shopper, it could be incredibly overwhelming that you could hover over, say, like home and dining and have 40 options. You know, and I think that's part of understanding how we have to change with the times and change with what the, 
user wants. And now everybody's so image focused that we actually just changed out our menu to just be images. Interesting. So even something like home and dining, yeah, now there's seven images under it. You can then click through to there. But we just were trying to respond as quickly as possible to kind of how customers are shopping and what they're looking for um, and really pay attention to best practices that other retailers are doing um, to so that we can kind of keep up or be ahead of the trends or at least move with them so that something that's that simple doesn't um, keep shoppers away or, you know, keep them from um, being so overwhelmed that they don't make a purchase. Yeah. So I think that that's challenging and I'm sure you can relate. It's like for us, we had, we've had, we do have so many SKUs and we really wanted it to be a place where um, anyone, any type of shopper could find something. But then we realized it was just too many. I mean, things like our basket collections could have, you know, 300, 400 baskets in it. And I love that, but I realized most people don't want that many choices. It's, it's too many. So now we're trying to figure out, okay, now it's time to kind of pair back, look at what our true best sellers are, you know, commit to just a couple of these different colors and carry them across all the different categories rather than in every category carrying, you know, 16 colors. Yeah. Are you guys, I'm just curious. I love knowing behind the scenes. Are you guys doing like a lot of the, are you on every shoot and helping like style it and pull it together and the way it looks and like packaging it or like talk us through what it looks like behind the scenes. Yes. I mean, lifestyle shoots, I'm still always a big part of those. I always really enjoy them. It's such a fun way for the product to come to life because um, I really am involved from, the, you know, finding the artisan group, approving them, deciding what it is we're going to make with them to then the design process. So by the time the product gets here and it's time for a photo shoot, I'm really excited because I'm usually, you know, because these things are handmade and they're coming from all over the world, they can take us a year from the time, easily a year from the time we found the group to the time product arrives. So um, the lifestyle shoots are a lot of fun for me. Seamless is something that I used to be involved in all of those photo shoots. Uh, I'm still involved with the gift box photo shoots. We just had one last week. Um, but otherwise, it's something I've been able to hand off. So that is a whole other part of running your own business is trying to figure out which pieces you can hand off and always finding team members who can do it better than you so you don't have to think about it and you can work on other things. Yeah. What is your role in the company versus Lauren's? Like, so Lauren and I are both co-founders. Um, we really did everything together from the start. She's been so involved in helping to build the brand, build the aesthetic. She has so much knowledge about what the customer wants. You know, she's really, really um, aware of who her customer is and what they're interested in. Um, and that's been really interesting to learn from. You know, she is so loyal to her people and really... Um, has helped to kind of shape the brand that the little market is. Um, but as you can imagine, she has lots of other things going on where the little market is my main thing. So I'm more involved in a lot of the day-to-day stuff and then she's just involved in lots of the high-level decisions. Got it. Um, okay, so I would love to know once... Uh, sorry, hold on, Hannah, my foot's falling asleep. <laughs> Nick, you're going to have to edit that out. Oh, my gosh. I was sitting in a position too long. Oh, my gosh. That's the worst feeling. Oh, my gosh. I haven't had my football sleep in, like, years. <laughs> That's too funny. I'm sorry. Um, no. It goes away. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I'll go back to it. Um, I would love to know what your challenges are right now. We've talked about some of the really fun stuff and the things that you guys are finding success in, but I know how hard it is to run a business and I've actually owned a company with a partner too. And I know that there can be challenges with that since you aren't the only one in charge. What, what is kind of difficult right now or a story that's been in the past at the little market that can kind of make you feel, make everyone feel like we're normal. (laughs) Well, as far as our partnership, I'm incredibly lucky to be partners with one of my best friends. So it makes, I mean, it means that I have complete trust in her. Um, There's just, we've been friends for so long that I almost know what she's going to say before I ask. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, So that partnership runs, yeah, it runs really smoothly. And um, even when we're talking at work, it's, it's just kind of woven into our other phone calls. It's very rare that we have like a dedicated work phone call where we're not talking about other friends or upcoming plans or something going on with our kids. So that's been really lucky that we've been able to stay so close with this partnership. 
Um, and it's only made it both our friendship and our partnership stronger. So, um, so that's very, very lucky. And um, as far as challenges at the little market, I mean, I think it's, there's different challenges all the time. It can be anything from, you know, when we opened a retail store, I really didn't know. Well, they always say you, you don't know what you don't know. And I would say that was especially true of all things at the little market. I mean, it's like when we first opened, we hadn't really thought about shipping and customs and what it would mean to get some brokers from, you know, now we're sourcing from 30 countries each time we get a product ship and it's a different process, you know. Um, so there's, there's a lot of logistic things um, that can be challenges for us with what we're doing as far as I think it's a good thing. Retail um, retail's just challenging and um, it's, you're on all the time. I mean, with, with e-commerce and a website, once the website looks good, it looks good. You know, there's always tweaks to be made to improve it. But once it's set for the day, it's set. Whereas with retail, you know, it's, you're constantly improving. You have to, you are re more often than you are with a website. Um, it's, you know, it's such a strong brand experience. It's when you actually get to have face time with your customers, meet them, um, there's just a lot there that ha- there's a, in some ways it feels like there's a lot more moving parts with retail than e-commerce. So that's just been an interesting learning for us. Yeah. How are you getting customers to your website? Do you go- I, I remember going to Create and Cultivate a couple years ago. I brought my team and you guys had a really fabulous pop up there. Um, and so I would assume you're doing activations and getting in front of customers when you can in, in person. Um, you know, so many of our listeners do have online stores. How do you get new customers? Are you putting a lot of money into paid social? Are you guys doing podcasts? Like what, how can you give people tips to get sales online? It's a good question. I'd say the last year or the last year and a half kind of in ready to open the store and then while the store was open we did a lot more in-person events and that type of thing so that we could get in front of new customers and get to know the community of um, the Pacific Palisades which is where our store is. That being said as a you know business owner that was also really challenging because that meant that I was in the field more than I was at the office um, and so as we all know as much as we thought to be in two places impossible so I did realize that even though that was so important and I learned so much and got to meet so many amazing people, like then, um, then I wasn't able to be at work doing the other things I need to do. So I think figuring out um, kind of this balance of how to be everywhere that's important to be and yet still get your day-to-day work done um, is really challenging. So this year we're kind of slowing it down on that kind of offense and um, trying to kind of preserve our team's energy as much as possible for kind of bigger moments and bigger opportunities. Yeah. That helps answer the question. Totally. No, balance is so hard. And there is this, yeah. this sweet spot of getting out enough where you meet customers and also can mm-hmm. and see what they like, see what they touch, what they're attracted yeah. to. It's so important. But then it's also like, when do you get your desk work done? And then throw in kids and Correct. family life. And it's just a yeah. daily juggle. How do you find yeah, the work-life balance? Of, well, I, I was going to answer the first part too is just saying like another one of my favorite quotes is when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Ooh, I so I that. think it's really especially, yeah, especially as, you know, being um, a new business owner, it's so easy to want to say yes to every single opportunity um, because you feel so fortunate to be given them. But one thing to keep in mind is like, you only have so much energy, you only have so many hours in the day. Um, and you already have a whole lot of responsibilities. So you have to really be thoughtful about which things you say yes to and start figuring out how, how can you measure is that experience or opportunity worth my time and energy? You know, is, is it going to be valuable? Is it going to, you know, what, and how will I even um, decide what valuable means to me? So I think that's a really important thing to know. So we actually even now just for pop-up shops because we get requests be part of pop-up shops or to pop-up places almost on the daily, which is so incredible. And we're so lucky, but we now have like a forum that we kind of run through of how many people will be there. What do we expect we could bring in financially? How many hours will this take of staffing setup, et cetera? What are, you know, what are the marketing requests? Um, and now we just have a better system for how to kind of track and evaluate that. Um, so we can decide, is this worth it? Cause I think that that can be really challenging as these things come up and especially for new business owners 
a lot of these opportunities come with a fee. And I think that that can be incredibly expensive really, really quickly. So it's really important to come up with your own system. How do I evaluate? Is this going to be worth it for us? Yeah. Do you have any, any like, ex- like set triggers that you go, okay, this is worth it or it's not? Like, are there certain things that you could tip off to ask for people to ask themselves? Number of new, number foot traffic is huge. Yeah. How many people do you expect to attend? Because even if that's all you know, that, you know, if you, because if you find out, okay, only 20 people are expected to attend, it's unlikely to be the spot for you unless it turns out that those 20 people you're the exact customer you've been looking for. Yeah. Whereas if you know a thousand people are expected to attend, at the very least, that means that you've now got your brand and your business in front of a thousand new faces. That's so true. So I think that's a really good place to start. And then also finding out um, how much marketing they're planning to do. You know, so then even for the people who aren't attending, how many people will have been invited to this and will now see your brand's name? Yeah. Because one thing I've heard over and over again is that it takes most shoppers most shoppers have to hear your brand's name 10 times before they make their first purchase. Wow. Which is, yeah, which is a lot. Um, but so that means that even if people just start to hear your name enough through invitations or I think word of mouth is one of the most important things, um, that's when those types of pop-up shops can be um, worth it. Because even if you're not getting the sales you would hope for that day, it could be one step closer to that shopper getting familiar with you and getting comfortable enough to make a purchase. Yeah. I've never heard that. That's so interesting. But as a shopper myself, that makes sense. I, I get that. Right. Yeah. It usually takes a while. You want to hear, you heard the ad, then you want to know, did a friend like it? And then you want to see it on somebody else, maybe see it in the store. It takes a while before you try something new. Yeah. Um, walk us through a day in the life of your shoes. What What is it like being the co-founder of the little market. And what, what does that look like? That's really, okay. So I don't have any two days that are the same. The only thing that I would say happens every day is I'm up around six, either because I woke up then or one of my kids was up. Um, (laughs) I try my best to get in a workout. Then I try my best to take my daughter to school. I'm not always able to do it in case they have a morning meeting um, or something that I need to be at. Um, and then I try, every day is different. So sometimes I work from our office. Sometimes I go down to the warehouse. Sometimes I go to the store. And sometimes I'm just in meetings all day. So like I said, no two days are alike. But I always set aside time, set aside time for emails because I really don't like it when my inbox gets over 50. I like to be able to see everything on one page so I don't miss anything. Um, and I really have to set time aside where it's just emails or else I can't get through them. Right. So that is a that is at least a two-hour piece of most days. And then I connect with at least um, probably five or six members from our team every single day via phone or in person. And then I'm often taking outside meetings with potential collaborations or that type of thing. So is your office in um, LA with your team? Yes. Um, so we have an office in LA, stores in LA, and then our warehouse is in Orange County. Okay. And what, what does the corporate team look like? Like how big is your team? And I would love to know a little behind the scenes. Yeah. So our team is about 30 full-time people. Um, and it's funny, we don't, we don't really use the word corporate because I feel like everyone, honestly, our team feels like a family. We have people who have been with us, um, since we got a warehouse and, um, and we really try to keep it pretty, um, kind of like a wide um, organizational chart. So it's not like a very long vertical one. We, we really like to keep everyone feeling um, like peers as much as possible, which is a couple kind of people managing the projects up at the top. Or, um, so that, does that answer the corporate? Yeah, and that's a big team. Question? That's a lot of people. It is. It's a lot of people. I think one thing most people don't realize about the little market is something even just like the artisan applications, artisan onboarding, order placing, um, because of the way we do things and we're not just ordering out of catalogs, there's a lot of back and forth. Like you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of language barriers. Um, there's a lot of different hurdles that most companies don't face. Um, that team itself is about six people. And then we also do our own warehousing and facility. Wow. So that's part of the team as well. That's unusual for companies yeah. your size. That's awesome. 
it is. Um, yeah. I was, I was going to say, I'd love to know why you guys do that. Cause we have, um, a lot of makers that outsource that with fulfillment centers and stuff, but I love that you guys are still touching it and shipping it yourselves. Why have you kept it that way? We have so many SKUs. Um, like I said before, probably too many. We're paring that down. Um, but a lot of items look similar but are variations, and those variations are really important to us and our customers. And when we first started, we used a mom-and-pop fulfillment center, um, and we were having a lot of challenges where, uh, you know, a slightly you know, slight version going of a bracelet going out to the customer wrong. Um, and of course the customer was unhappy. And what we realized is we just wanted to own the entire process. Uh, and then if there was ever something that didn't go right, we'd be able to be responsible for it, talk to the customer about it and get that fixed. Um, so we just decided it was actually easier for us to do it all in-house. Wow. And then also with all of their handmade variations, when items come in, we want our own team to be able to inspect them, do the quality control, because they're really the ones who are going to know the slight differences more than a fulfillment center would. So now that you've been in it six years, what is next for the little market? Where do you guys see yourself taking the business or what's your focus kind of moving forward into year seven? Um, that's a great question. Our focus for, I mean... There's always so many goals for us. I think for us, the goal, the big goal is always to be able to sell as many handmade products from as many people all over the world. So to be able to grow the number of places we're working with is huge. Um, and then also for us to make sure that kind of going forward as we place orders, all of the products are exclusively designed for us um, and then exclusively sold by us. So that's a big pro- project in itself. Um, And then we're also looking to do more retail. So we're looking actually to maybe do um, a store in Orange County as our next base, since that's where our warehouse already is, um, and that's where we're both from. So that's that's hopefully what year seven looks like. That's awesome. Would you guys ever consider wholesaling your stuff so boutiques across the country could carry the Little Market brand? That is a great question. So we actually do wholesale a number of our products because – because with fair trade, um, we're paying more for products than other people might. Not all of our products have a wholesale margin, um, but a fair number or quite a bit of them do, including most of our spa products, um, as well as our burlap bags that are customizable. So those are all really, really popular wholesale items and we're looking to be able to offer more as well. Yeah, I, I could see that as a big opportunity for you guys. Um, before my foot fell asleep and I had to awkwardly pause for a second, I had a question I wanted to ask you. I, um, my background is in journalism and I think storytelling is so important for brands and the ones that do it well are the ones that typically succeed and scale. And I think a big, um, point that you can storytell is your maker's businesses, what they give back to their processes, their origins. You have so much content to drive on. And Fleestyle does too with our makers, um, but that's hard to tell online. That those stories are sometimes hard to translate. But those are what what you know get customers and sell them on what you're offering. How are you guys doing that? And do you have any tips for that? Because I know a lot of our listeners are in that camp of having a really unique story. So storytelling is actually incredibly challenging for us because we have so many different makers and each has such a powerful story. Um, and so honestly, I think we often feel, I heard this on a panel once, but you're kind of competing with the story of how great um, the people who make your product are, as well as the story of just how great your product is. And so we kind of try to go back and forth where we do sometimes an email where it just talks about, you know, if we're focusing on candles, here's our candle fragrances, here's what's in them, they're all natural ingredients, here's why the candle's great. And then on a day like World Refugee Day, then that gives us an opportunity to highlight who's making the candles a little bit more. Um, you know, a lot of people know that all of our candles are made by refugees who have now moved to the, or who have all now been resettled to the U.S. So I think we try to find different opportunities um, based on different times of year to tell different stories. Does that help answer that one? Yeah. And I remember when you came to Dallas, for example, for Paula, you guys put content on your blog and other ways too, right? Yes. So yeah, we have content living in a lot of places. Um, we try not to overwhelm the product page, which is 
it would be nice to tell more of those stories, but we've realized people don't, people don't, again, that can just become too overwhelming. So we do have other places like the blog, like our Instagram, uh, that we try to share stories as well so that you can find stories in different places. But we, you know, we, we really do love to share the stories of the people making the products because that is part of what makes them so special. Yeah. Um, how many kids do you have, Hannah? Did you say you have more than one? I have two. Yeah, I have a four-year-old daughter and a one-and-a-half, one-and-a-half-year-old son. Oh my gosh! Congrats. So, um, before we <laughs> wrap up and go into kind of a speed round, how are you balancing that work life and mom life and wife life and preaching to the choir um, over here? I know it's hard. Answer is that I'm not. <laughs> True. Um, <laughs> I think I think it's genuinely like impossible to balance it all, um, especially. Because with running your own business, you really feel like you should be in all of these places at once. Um, you know, sometimes there's two work events you could be at at the same time, and you have to choose. Um, like I said earlier, like you have your kids drop off and pick up. So what I try to do, or what works for me, is to um, make sure I'm completely present wherever I am, and that's kind of how I've found any kind of balance. So you know, I used to try to work from home with my kids playing, so I wouldn't have to missed out on time with my daughter when she was younger. But what I found was then I couldn't do a good job at work or at being a mom. So now I do really try to separate it. I, you know, even though they change every day when I have my set office hours and set work schedule, I just do that. And then when it's time for me to be a mom and pick up my daughter for school and take her to dance class, that's all I'm doing. Um, So that's what's helped me the most, you know, Sometimes that means that if I do a, a full day of both, then I'm behind on emails because I haven't actually been at the computer. So that means sometimes staying in bed late at night to do emails. But what I've found from that too is that there's more likely to be an email error and that I don't, I'm not as well rested as I need to be. So I'm, I'm still learning. I think we all kind of learn as we go and try to make time to rest so that you can actually be more productive in the end. Yeah. Well, and then you're a mom, but you're also, I'm sure, managing a lot of people, a team of 30. You're at the top of that chain. Like, how do you have any managing tips or hiring tips as to how to create such an awesome team? It sounds like you really like your crew and that things are pretty good in that camp, which is not easy to cultivate that. I do. And we've we've had challenges with that as well. Um, I'm really happy to say we're in an incredible place. We have an amazing team. But like anything from the challenges, that's when you learn the most. So uh, now when we hire, um, your qualifications, of course, are very, very important. But your attitude and your shared values are equally as important. So if we had a really impressive candidate, but they seemed, you know, but they weren't kind and weren't dedicated to giving back, and it likely would not be a good fit for the little market. Yeah. What? So that's something that we've definitely learned. Um, we've also just learned, and especially with having three different locations, which means that not every team member is always getting FaceTime with each other. It's really important to bring the whole team together once a month for some kind of meeting, just so everyone can really get to know each other on a personal level too. Um, because as you know, email communication could come off short or be misinterpreted. And so we really want people to get to know each other on a deeper level um, and start to really cultivate relationships. Yeah. What would you tell your 22 year old self now a decade into running a business and working and real life, like that college girl, what would you tell her knowing what you know now and being an entrepreneur and really walking the walk for a while? such a good question. Um, I think at 22, we're all so kind of like lost and confused and don't know what's next. Um, but I think what I tell anyone who's hoping to start a business in the future or even doesn't, doesn't know what they're going to do next is get as much experience doing the things you're passionate about as possible because they'll likely lead to your career. You know, so I ended up volunteering a lot with human rights hockey units knew exactly where that was going to lead to, but I wasn't worried about it because I enjoyed that experience so much. And I think um, they are such an incredible organization and really taught me that importance of credibility and fact-checking and making sure that everything that goes out from your organization is um, something people can trust. And so, um, and I also learned a lot about human rights and just how important it is to create a better world, a more fair world for people who don't have the same opportunities as us. Um, so everything I learned from how to write a proper email to, you know, 
to what really the importance of fair trade all came together. Um, and I think a lot of people just want to hurry up and get started, but I think it's really, really important to get experience first. And I think at 22, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I, um, but I just kind of kept doing what I loved. Um, and I kept showing up for work or showing up to volunteer. And that's what mattered because I think that's a huge piece is getting work experience, getting used to being in an office, getting used to a nine to five um, is really, really important for whatever your next step is. Yeah. Um, before we go into the speed run, one last question. I, I think it, it weighs so big on my heart and I know you'd love to probably speak to it, but why is shopping small important and why should people visit you know, the little market or companies like Flea Style and support us as, as well as Target and all those things that we moms love. Yeah. But it's important to shop uh, small for so many reasons. I'd love to hear why you think so. Um, I think it's, I, I heard a quote once that uh, when you buy items that are disposable, you're treating the people who made them as disposable or you're treating the planet as disposable. And I think right now um, there's a shift where people are understanding that impact. Um, you know, when you, when you buy handmade, you're connecting to the person behind the product. Um, you're not imagining it being made in a factory and just getting overnighted to your home. You're, you're investing in that person and their skills, and you're investing in a world where people can still make things with their hands, and you are cherishing and valuing how important that is. Um, I think it's really, really important to support small businesses and makers. It's really um it's one of the few things kind of we have in this super modern world, but there is such a difference in quality and just how special it is to buy something handmade um, that you really can't get when you're shopping at a mass retailer. Yeah. Amen to that. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we kind of have a fun little Q and a with you? No, um, I don't know. I think it's just, I think it really for any people that are listening that are about starting their own business or already have one. Um, I think it's really important not to be afraid of failure because um, it's really easy to get discouraged when things aren't going right. Um, but if you take all of your setbacks and learn from them and take them as opportunities to learn and grow, um, I think that's how you end up succeeding. And um, you just kind of have to believe in yourself and trust the process um, and don't give up. Yes. Love it. Well, tell everyone where they can find the little market, whether it's online or social media. You can find the little market at thelittlemarket.com or on Instagram at the little market. Easy. Uh, is there, I'd love real quick. Is there any cute story behind the name other than it's just perfectly adorable? <laughs> there is not other than it took us forever to get a name that simple. No, it's so good. I love it. And I love thank you. Likewise, I love your name. Oh, thank you. I love the um the cursive and all of it. I think it's just perfect. Um Thank you. Okay. Like I said, all of that took months. Uh, yeah. Well, y'all nailed it. Um, okay, I'm gonna ask Thanks. you just some fun questions we'd like to end with to lighten the mood, but also get to know you a little bit better. Um, you ready? Yep. Okay. Uh what's your bedtime? Ooh, so my kids go to bed at seven and then I actually get to bed at the same time as soon as they're asleep. Like I said, sometimes I stay up writing emails or watching TV, but I actually am physically in bed just after seven. Oh my gosh. Uh, you said your wake up time, was it like around six? 6 a.m. Okay. Um, last meal on earth would be? Oh my God. Um, I don't know why a diner milkshake and fries just came to my mind. Yeah. Well, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Dream dinner guests. It could be a party or just one dead or alive. Ooh, um, I think it would be Ellen. Oh, yes. She was in Dallas at the Cowboys game last night. I was like, man, I wish I would have known that. <laughs> so close. <laughs> Love her. Um, something that people wouldn't know about your business partner, Lauren. We got to give her some sort of shout out. Ooh. Um, I don't think people know how funny she is because she's, I don't think they have the opportunity to see that side of her. Um, but Lauren's really witty, really funny. Um, and I don't think most people get to see that. Yeah. What would be your dream travel destination? 
And are you going with the kids or no kids? Uh, oh, that's a good question. No kids would be Madagascar. I've been dying to go to Madagascar. And then with the kids, I haven't taken them to the snow yet. So I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that hopefully this winter. Oh, that's a good one. Um, dream mentorship session. If you could sit down with anyone and pick their brain. That's such a good one. Um, You're making me feel so good over I here. Think, <laughs> I think um, I think Oprah, because Oprah has really built such an incredible brand and business. Um, and I just admire her so much. Yeah. What are you currently listening to? It could be a podcast, um, music. Always, music. I'm always listening to Milk, um, M-I-L-C-K. Or Tina Granis or Leah James. Okay. Do you have any podcasts that you listen to? You know, podcasts are the one thing I need to make significantly more time for. Um, so I really like how I built this, yeah. but otherwise, I have not been making an. Oh, and then of course, Lauren's asking for a friend, which I thought was a perfect example of how funny she is, was just naming that podcast. Um, she did such a good job interviewing so many of our friends and highlighting the cool work they do. Awesome. Um, I'm going to end with what's, you've traveled so much for your, your business. What's your favorite, the favorite, your favorite place you've ever been to? Um, Bali was one of the first trips Lauren and I took together and Bali is just so magical and so unlike anything else, but I think that that'll always be one of my favorite trips. And of course, so far away. So it's going to be a while before I'm able to get back this. Yeah. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for your time today and sharing your story and that of the little market. It was really fun to hear and such a pleasure to spend an hour with you today. Well, likewise, thank you for making time. And I hope that we get to meet either in Dallas or Orange in the near future. Yes, I'm in Orange County all the time. I will definitely shout out to you and come see this warehouse. Come get all the things. Please do. (laughs) All right, girl. Well, have a great day and thank you again. Thank you too. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes to keep up with new episodes and all the goodness we have planned for you. Visit fleastyle.com and follow us on Instagram at fleestyle for everything up our sleeves from new events and workshops to vendor stories on our blog and behind the scenes scoop about our new store opening this fall. Happy Friday, y'all. Same time and place next week.